0: Hey, I'm Dr. Gariana Demers. I'm an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon, and I have successfully integrated orthobiologics into my busy practice so that I can provide a continuum of care and treat patients who are in the gap. The gap is this gray area in orthopedics where standard conservative treatments have not been effective, but surgery may not be warranted. And we usually tell our patients, come back when it's worse what? These are your patients coming to you for help. Orthobiologics is that solution that can fill the gap and help you treat your patients who are in your office looking to you for help. Orthobiologics can also be an excellent treatment for frustrating problems without good surgical outcomes. This podcast will help you create the Orthobiologics business that will make you love your job again. We will focus on the value of orthobiologics, patient selection, how to talk to your patients about money, office setup, and other logistics. If this is something you've always wanted but don't know where to start, join me in the Business of Orthobiologics podcast. Hi, welcome. I'm going to be talking today about candidacy for orthobiologic treatments. Here's what we'll cover today who's a good candidate, and patient factors like likelihood of success, longevity of the treatment, risk of treatment, and we'll talk about a candidacy calculator. So, patient candidacy for orthobiologics. What determines a good candidate? So we have to know the diagnosis patient attributes, the likelihood of success, and other treatment options as well as risk comparison. When we talk about diagnosis, we want to talk about different treatments and different success rates for arthritis, for tendon issues, for ligament issues, for nerve compression, muscle injury. And we also have to consider, have patients had a biologic failure or structural failure? Do they have partial tears? Uh, Have they not been recommended for surgery due to their other biologic issues or medical issues? Are there really no great surgeries for the diagnosis that they have? So let's talk a little bit about arthritis. So patient eligibility, patients who have mild to moderate arthritis, who have not responded to conservative treatments like physical therapy and medications, may have had hyaluronic acid injections and have still had problems with symptoms optimal candidates are individuals with early stage osteoarthritis, healthy enough for a minimally invasive procedure, no severe joint deformity or malalignment, and no significant cartilage loss. That's the optimal treatment um, or optimal candidate. That doesn't mean that anyone with those problems can't have this procedure, but that's the optimal candidate. When we talk about tendon injuries or tendinopathy, so eligibility for the patient, patients with chronic tendon injuries who haven't conservative, who haven't responded to those conservative treatments. Our optimal candidate would be an individual with localized tendon injury without significant tears or ruptures were motivated to follow post-procedure rehabilitation protocols and understand that it may take quite a long time for it to fully rehab and we're talking something in the realm of 6 months uh, to have the full effects when we talk about rotator cuff tears our patient eligibility our patients with partial thickness rotator cuff tears anybody with a full thickness tear is not going to have Um, as significant improvement as patients with partial thickness tears. Our optimal candidates are individuals with small to medium sized partial thickness tears, no significant muscle, muscle atrophy, or severe degeneration of the tendon, as well as a limited concomitant disease of arthritis. When we talk about ligament injuries, like MCL, ACL, uh, ligament injuries, patient eligibility are patients with pro- partial tears, or chronic instability. And this can be of the knee, this can be of the hip, of the ankle, uh, wrist, fingers, um, elbows. These are all uh, patient eligible candidates. Our optimal candidates would be individuals with stable knees, mild to moderate ligament injuries, and no significant joint damage uh, to the cartilage. Next, When we talk about cartilage defects, eligible patients are patients with localized cartilage defects or early cartilage degeneration. Optimal candidates would be small to medium sized cartilage defect, no advanced OA and suitable joint alignment, meaning no significant malalignment. Next would be spinal conditions like degenerative disc disease, herniated discs, um, some sort of um, spinal stenosis or instability. Eligibility are patients with chronic back pain with mild to moderate disc degeneration. Our optimal candidates would be individuals with localized disc degeneration, no significant nerve compression or spinal instability. Next, we wanna evaluate our patient attributes. So we wanna take a look at their overall health Do they have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancers, metabolic syndrome? All of these have been shown to be harbingers of worse outcomes when it comes to orthobiologic treatments overall. Now, who's a poor candidate? So these are items um, that may indicate poor candidacy for orthobiologics. That being said, this also may be an indication that they are a perfect candidate for the orthobiologics as they are not a candidate for other treatments such as surgical intervention. So, number one advanced or severe injury or disease, severe osteoarthritis, active infection or inflammatory disease, poor overall health, realistic, excuse me, unrealistic expectations. This is not magic. This is not going to fix everything. This is not a drive through McDonald's experience. Um, allergies or sensitivities to the injection that we're completing inability to comply with rehab although I would say that sometimes uh, low risk uh, low downtime injection-based therapies may actually be uh, better suited for those patients who cannot comply with a strict rehab protocol Um, such as the case for rotator cuff repair surgery versus rotator cuff injections where rotator cuff injection therapy there's very limited downtime and limited restrictions as uh, compared to a rotator cuff repair surgery. Next would be elderly patients, although there's been some studies that show that this is actually uh, quite beneficial with quite a bit less risk uh, for knee arthritis. Pregnancy, uh, although again, these are Orthobiologic treatments, which are your uh, platelets and and tissues, which may have lower risk than um, other treatments um, that are not autologous. Next would be previous unsuccessful orthobiologic treatment. And I wanna talk a little bit about that because we really have to be critical on what the orthobiologic treatment was. Was it appropriate? Was it appropriately dosed? Do we know that it was done under ultrasound or uh, x-ray guidance? Um, and, and make sure that it wasn't uh, under dosing or poor quality treatment rather than a failure itself. Next would be blood clotting disorders. So any kind of um, clotting disorder that would pre- predispose you to excessive bleeding um, that would cause worsening pain problems or issues may be um, not a good candidate for injection-based therapies. Additionally, uh, compression, significant nerve compression may be um, not a good candidate for orthobiologic treatment. And then poor overall function. Uh, we don't want to, uh, they may be in poor health um, and like i tell my patients they their body we want to optimize their biology uh, because this is uh, the drugstore, this is the pharmacy we're going to for the medicine, and we want to have the best pharmacy and the best medicine available. So if we have poor health, poor f- overall function, this may not be the best treatment for them. Now let's talk about likelihood of success. Um, and we really have to delve into the literature and look at different success rates for each diagnosis, but Overall, there's an overarching success rate of about 50 to 75% success rate um, with appropriate candidacy, appropriate selection, and appropriate treatment protocols. Now, let's look at that as compared to standard treatments like cortisone or surgery. And, And we know that some of these standard treatments are not successful at all, and some of them are quite successful. So uh, for a long-term treatment, uh, cortisone is not going to be successful. And we know that this is successful only about 6 to 12 weeks, um, with all effects um, being mitigated by 26 weeks in most cases. Now, surgery, on the other hand, from a longevity standpoint, we know that hip replacement surgery is an excellent procedure with a excellent outcome um, and efficacy, as well as long-term success. So we really have to be clear on what treatments we're comparing the orthobiologic treatment against and looking at the expectations of each treatment um, as compared to standard treatments. And then we talk about this longevity. So in treatments for arthritis, longevity treatments uh, such uh, as the standard treatments, cortisone, six to 12 weeks, hyaluronic acid, uh, six to nine months, And uh, orthobiologic treatments appear to be uh, longer than that, at least uh, 12 to 18 months for platelet-rich plasma and maybe longer for other cellular therapies. Um, When we looked at tendon tears, this becomes uh, quite a bit more interesting because in some studies, this does appear to be curative. Uh, Instead of a um, band-aid procedure, this is actually causing healing of the tendon itself. Same with ligament injuries. Um, When we talk about nerve irritation, there are Maybe uh, longevity of the treatment if we can actually treat the underlying reason the nerve is irritated, either a little bit of degenerative disc disease or um, spinal instability um, or compression of the carpal tunnel, and we can inject this area and decrease the irritation, but also stabilize the underlying reason that we're having nerve nerve irritation. This may be curative again, uh, and so the longevity of the treatment for curative treatments um it is quite quite uh, acceptable and um, desirable. When we talk about spinal degenerative disc disease, uh, we do know that even using a uh, platelet-rich plasma epidurals, uh, this can actually reverse the bulging of the disc and decrease the compression of the nerve. And this does appear to be a significant longevity of the treatment as well as decreasing risk of adjacent segment disease. We know when we have a, spinal fusion, that the risk of adjacent segment disease is real and can be quite problematic. Whereas if we are improving the functional segment of the disease, uh, this decreases that risk of adjacent segment disease uh, and so decreases the overall um, need for further treatments and may actually cause improved longevity. Now, next part, we want to talk about risk comparison. So when we talk about risk of physical therapy, bracing, supplements, these are low-risk uh, procedures. They're non-invasive. Uh, medications are the next step up with uh, some side effects and some risks associated associated with it. Next would be injection-based therapies. We talk about risks of steroid injections, hyaluronic acid injections, and then we talk about those risks of the uh, orthobiologic injections, one, we compare orthobiologic treatments to minimally invasive surgeries, the risks may be uh, quite uh, equal or um, the same across the board. When we're talking about risk of invasive major surgery, like a joint replacement or spinal fusion, uh, then we have uh, significant less risk with orthobiologic injections, more risk with those surgical injections. So those are all things to take into consideration when we're talking to our patients uh, about whether they're a candidate for orthobiologic treatments. Next, we'll talk about a couple of candidacy calculators. Um, There's this intuitive calculator where it's just your brain and based on your diagnosis, patient variables, likelihood of success, longevity. uh, And then we go ahead and talk about what we know from the uh, outcomes in the literature. And this takes into account our patient's values and goals as well. Next is the Malenga Outcomes uh, Calculator. Uh, This is a really cool calculator. It's based on safety, efficacy, durability of effect, number of required treatments, cost, level of invasiveness, limitations limitations post-procedure, expected time to improvement, expected time to uh, activity or sport. And this is used, and then you get to score each one um, from least invasive to most invasive, uh, lowest cost to highest cost, um, least in limitations to most limitations, uh, most safe to um, most risk, uh, low efficacy to high efficacy, and they all get scored on a 50-point score. Uh, and then we also use uh, this to take into account what our patients value as well, and it's to be used as a shared decision-making tool. Um, and so each treatment, has a different score and different weight from the patient's uh, values. And so you can calculate the score for an orthobiologic treatment versus surgery. You can calculate the score of one orthobiologic treatment as compared to another orthobiologic treatment for the same diagnosis based on the differences of limitations and invasiveness and cost. Um, And it's really, really uh, cool, helpful tool that I've been using uh, for a bit. And uh, I'm pleased to be able to talk about that today. Next would be what we call the Buford Chalk Talk. This is his way of talking with his patients. He uh, has a chalkboard and uh, in the in the consultation room, and they go through all of these um, risk benefits and options. And there's no one right answer. So his conclusions are: there's no one right answer for the given a given clinical diagnosis and or patient. It has to do with all of the combinations that we see together. And then we educate the patient with the information that's relevant um, and uh, looking at the peer reviewed literature and uh, supported by registry data or expert opinions. Um, And then unless the decision is clearly a medical error, uh, then we proceed with what the patient selected treatment is so these are a couple of ways to think about um, patient candidacy for orthobiologic treatments so how do you how do you decide is my patient a good candidate consider all the factors including diagnosis individual patient attributes and likelihood of success as well as the other issues such as longevity of treatment cost invasiveness risk stratification and then what the likelihood of success is as the patient considers it to be success. Um, So hopefully this has helped you guys. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time when we talk about money. Take care. This has been the Business of Orthobiologics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to know more, please join us on the website prp-now.com and click on the free masterclass. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get more guidance on integrating PRP in your busy practice. Bye for now.